The man went to his doctor, and uh, the doctor came in, and after looking at his test results, and the doctor said, well, I have some bad news, and I have some good news. The bad news is you have inoperable brain cancer. The good news is, is our hospital's been cleared to do brain transplants, and Unfortunately, but fortunately for you, there was actually a rather severe accident in front of the hospital, and a young couple died. So you're able to have your choice of brains. And the doctor went on to say, he said that the male brain will cost you $100,000, the female brain will cost you $20,000. And of course, the man was kind of shocked about that and said, why the disparity in price? And the doctor, without missing a beat, said, because the woman is used. See, the woman's brain is you. Wow. I probably didn't deliver that punchline right. See, the man's brain's 100,000, woman's 20. Disparities because a woman's actually used brain. All right, all right. So we're just going to forget that. I was hoping to gain a few points with the ladies because <laughs> I'm going to probably need the, the, the points. Um, but... Uh, In all seriousness, we've been talking about transformation. We've been talking about the need for us to transform our lives. There's probably not a person in here that doesn't need to make some changes in their lives. I certainly do, and my guess is if you're honest with yourself, so do you. And I want you to know, we've been saying it over and over, there will be no changes in our lives until our thinking changes. Until your thinking changes, until my thinking changes, there's no behavioral changes, and we're hitting the subject of relationship. And I'll tell you, if if our relationships are going to get better, the first thing that needs to change is our thinking, and then our behavior is going to change. And so uh, we've been talking about this, and we've been talking about the need uh, to have the Holy Spirit, because see, the problem we have is we all have strongholds in our heads. We all have strongholds in our heads. And those strongholds, let me tell you, aren't going to be broken naturally through human reasoning. It requires the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we've been talking about. If you've missed like the last five messages, please just go to the Bethlehem Community Church website. Then you can just hit sermons and you can get them there or you can just go on podcasts. But you really need to look at these last five or six messages because there's nothing more critical than understanding that we all need to have behavior changes, but our, 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 our thinking needs to change and only the unleashing of the Holy Spirit in your life can do that. All right. So we are going to be talking about relationships this morning. So I've entitled the message, When Relationships Work, When Relationships Work. Father, I thank you so much for the worship. I always appreciate our worship teams, Lord. They're such a blessing to us. And uh, and now, Lord, as we move to your word, I just ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. Lord, as always, we don't need a word from man. We do need to hear your word, your truth, because your truth brings life. And I think it can bring much life this morning. And so I pray especially for the men, actually, that you will give them soft hearts to receive and ears to hear. And I just look expectantly what you're going to accomplish now. And I just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> I was a little worried about that. James, the half-brother of Jesus, you know, he talks about words, and words are powerful. 
Words are powerful. You are either, and I am either a minister of life, or I am a minister of death. And they certainly can make or break a relationship. This morning, we are going to look at a male and a female, a husband and a wife. And we're going to talk about that relationship a little bit. Remember, though, before we look at it in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is talking to redeemed individuals. It's important to understand that. He's talking to people that actually have redeemed thinking, not worldly thinking. Because the world isn't going to like what we're going to see now, all right? But if you're redeemed, then it should make perfect sense. So, Skip, can you put up those scriptures in Ephesians chapter 5? And it says this, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is truly a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So I say again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect his husband. Now, I I think no one would probably argue with me there's no more difficult relationship on planet Earth than marriage, the marital relationship. Just think about it. You have two very selfish people coming together, you know, invariably you're going to get conflict. Winston Churchill, Skip, can you put up his picture? Churchill, of course, was the great British statesman who saw Great Britain through World War II. And he was both pugnacious as well as witty. And the story is told of a meeting between Churchill had between himself and Lady Astor. The meeting took place in Blenheim Palace, Churchill's ancestral home. And during the meeting, Lady Astor began talking about her favorite subject, the subject of women's rights. And she would take that issue all the way to the House of Commons, for she was the first woman actually elected to Parliament. Now, Churchill wasn't so big on women's rights. And at one point in the discussion, Lady Astor got so frustrated with Winston Churchill. She said, Winston, if I was married to you, I would poison your coffee. And Churchill, without missing a beat, said, and if you were my wife, I should drink it. Now, you see, we all get a laugh out of this, but the reality is marriage is either heaven or it's hell. There really is no middle ground. Your marriage is either heaven or it is hell. And far too often, if most of us are honest, we are closer to hell. And biblically speaking, the husband, the man, needs to shoulder most of the responsibility for this. Because in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, Paul said this, For the husband is the head of the church, for the husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. 
The Greek word for head is kelpha, and it literally means superior or it means authority over. So don't miss the parallelism here. Just as Christ has authority over the church, the man, the husband, has authority over his wife. Now, to the unregenerate mind, I get that. To the unregenerate mind, that really sounds sexist. We're we're talking about inequality here. That's how they're going to view this thing. And there's no other way around that. But to the redeemed mind, to the mind that has been transformed by the Holy Spirit, you see God's order in this, and you see the beauty of God's design of both masculinity and femininity. Now, the reality is is that marriage is under fire in this country. And the reason why marriage is under fire in this country is because this country has become more and more secular. It's becoming more and more godless. And what that means is is that we are rejecting God's design for both male and female. I mean, we're going right for the jugular now. We're we're messing with the, the very image of God. And we're redefining family. We're redefining what a marriage is. I mean, you couldn't, we're actually worse than Sodom and Gomorrah, believe it or not. We've dealt with it. And because of that, by the way, you're seeing the family disintegrate. No, you're just seeing total confusion and you're seeing chaos in the home. And like I said, generally the fault lies when you see chaos occurring. It occurs because of leadership. It occurs because of leadership. For example, if you're, familiar with sports, and a sports team begins to lose. What happens? Do they start firing the players? No, they fire the coach. And it's no different with a business, by the way. If a business begins to lose money and is not making profit, what do they do? They begin to fire the CEO, and they go on down. By the way, it's no different in a church. If the chairs start emptying, guess what happens? Guess whose head's on the chopping block? The elders are not mine. No, I'm just kidding. It's a, my, my head's on the block. My head's on the chopping block. It, it, it is an act, it's, it's just an axiom of life. Everything, everything rises or falls on leadership. Everything rises or falls on leadership. And in the home, the man, biblically, is to be the leader in the home. You know, many years ago, we had a guest speaker here. And he was speaking on the subject of marriage. And near the end of his message, he said, Now, men, I'm going to address you. I want to speak to you. And he said this, If you are a husband, then God has given you the gift of a wife. Now, you may not view her as a gift right now, but when you married her, she was a gift to you. And if you were to die today, and Jesus were to ask you the question, is your wife better now than when I gave her to you so many years ago? What would your response be? And you could have heard a pin drop in the room. Do you know what our problem is? Our problem as men is we may know how to lead out there, but we don't know how to lead in the home. You know, most men think, hey, wait a minute. I go out to work I make the bacon. I work 50, 60 hours a week, two jobs. Hey, I bring the money home. I provide a nice, comfortable life for my family. I just want to say, men, that is not leadership. In fact, what your message is, is life is about hard work and having a nice, comfortable life. Biblical leadership, true leadership, knows where it's going. So if you're truly a leader, you know where the target is. 
You know what the goal of life is. You know where the hill is and you're charging and you're going up it and you're going to take it. That is true biblical leadership. Now, men, let me ask you this. If I were to go to your house this afternoon, talk to your wife, talk to your kids and ask them, what is the goal of life? What target are you aiming for? What direction are you being led in? What would they say? What would their response be? You know, when I was a young boy, I could actually answer that question. My father was a leader. And he knew where he was going. And if you had asked me that question, I would have said, you know what the goal of life is? The goal of life is to be successful. It's to be number one at what you do. Because if you're number one at what you do, you will make lots of money. And when you make lots of money, guess what? You get lots of options. If you have lots of options, then you can retire well. I understood. I mean, that was beaten into me. And my father, by the way, he discipled well. I mean, he, he, I mean, he, he lived that thing out. He was at work by six in the morning. Almost every morning, he came home at six at night and he worked a half day Saturday. I mean, I was certain that the goal of life was to work really, really hard so that you could be really, really successful, so that you could be number one, so that you could make a lot of money, have a lot of options, and then I could retire well. That's what I thought life was about. That's what I was discipled in. I'm asking you, men, what are you discipling your wife and your family in? But see, now I'm redeemed. Now I'm redeemed. I got saved. And by the way, in getting saved, my mind has changed, and I realize that the American dream or any part of the American dream is bankrupt. Amen, oh me. I didn't didn't hear much. Amen, oh me. The American dream is bankrupt. It's a dead end. And you know, if I could have filmed it when my father was 84 years old looking and he finally at 84 years old said, son, I wasted my life. None of it meant anything. But at least he came to it. At least he came to it. Now you're going to say, well, what is leadership? What is leadership if I have a redeemed mind? Let me tell you what leadership is if you have a redeemed mind, if you're a man. You know what you're to be teaching your wife and your kids? To know Jesus. Oh, Philippians chapter 3. Oh, I want to know Jesus. That's what Paul said. I want, to, I want to know him so much. I want to know. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. Because you see, Paul understood if he knew Jesus, then he'd become like Jesus. And if he became like Jesus, he'd begin to have an impact like Jesus. And the redeemed mind knows that you can't do it, though. Jesus didn't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. It's a supernatural life. And let me tell you, most men are clueless in the pew as to how to lead. What? What do you mean? What do you, what do you mean it's to know Jesus? What in the world are you talking about? Let me tell you, when you die and you're butt naked, stand before Jesus, you'll get it. You'll go, boy, I wish I did know him. Because <laughs> that's all that's going to matter. See, he's eternal and his kingdom is eternal. Now, like I said, most men don't know how to do it. We know that. That's why we understand that the goal 
of, 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 of Christianity is discipleship. That's why you hear us talking about discipleship. And if you're a man out there and you say, look, I, I, I just heard truth now, pastor. I want to become a man of God. I want to lead my wife and my family. Please contact Jeff. Please contact Tom or call the church office. We will help you with it. It is absolutely vital as a man. If you want your wife to respect you, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give men a break here, all right? Not this morning. You have to come back for that. But I will give you a break. But if you want your wife to respect you, and there's not a man in here that doesn't want his wife to respect him, she needs to know that you know where you're going. You need to know where you're going. I need to know where I'm going. But, you know, it doesn't end there. Now, the man has a longer job description, by the way. And Paul gives us more of his role. In fact, he says this in chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. So Paul tells us that a man's leadership is not based on human wisdom. It's not based on his earning power. It's not based on his muscles and masculinity. It is grounded in love. It is grounded in love. And he says, the first way that I'm going to love my wife is that I'm going to make her holy. You know what that means, men? Yes, pastor. Absolutely. Absolutely. It means that you're to make her like Jesus. And you know how you're going to make her like Jesus? You're going to give her a bath every day. Not in the tub, though. Some of you were getting excited there for a moment. No, you're going to give her a bath, all right. But it's a bath of the word of God, of truth. You know, can, can I be even more... Uh, up front and blunt than I usually am. How can that happen, Pastor? I got men coming to me, and they go, Pastor, you don't know what it's like for me in my house. My wife is like a faucet. Drip, 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 drip. Nag, 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 nag. And then on top of that, I don't get any sex from her. I mean, mean, no sex. Drip, 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 drip. And then I come home, and the house is a pig pen, a pigsty. And on and on it goes. Men, you want to do yourself a favor? How many men here would like to do themselves a favor? I'm going to to help you out here. Going to help you out here. The smartest thing you can do is to start learning truth yourself and then getting your wife into truth. That's the smartest thing you can do is start getting you into truth, and your wife into truth. You know what will happen if you begin both to walk in truth? Your behavior is going to change. I mean, your thinking is going to change. And then your behaviors will change. Did you know that? I mean, so as, as I begin to get my mind filled with truth, and you help your wife's mind to get filled with truth, then your thinking together changes. And guess what? The behavior changes, and you'll begin to walk in love. Joy, so you'll have joy, you'll be peace, you'll be patient with one another. Isn't this great, kind, good? Do you see how it spirals 
you know, up. No, it's, it, it's fantastic. You know, sometimes people will ask me, you know, Frank, how did you get so lucky? How did you get such a wonderful wife? She's here, so I'm trying to get points. But no, they will ask me that. And you know what my response is? I say, well, you know, she wasn't always so wonderful. No. <laughs> I went to seminary. And I did, I, I can tell you, I made a lot of mistakes. But one of the smartest things that I ever did was I would come home and I would teach Susan. She'll tell you, she, she's back there. I would teach her truth. And I got to the point where, now this is really good, men, when your wife can actually take the Bible and she begins to feed herself. That's really a good thing. And so now Susan gets up at four in the morning and you'll see it. She's got the books. She's got the Bible out. I get up somewhere between five and six. And guess what happens when I plop on the couch? I get a message. She, she preaches to me. Yeah, she actually preaches to me. And you know what? It's awesome. Because Susan, because her mind is filled with truth, she's not all emotional. By the way, that's how you make decisions. She's not filled with negative emotions. See, because her mind's filled with truth, she's filled with positive emotions, love, joy, peace. No, this is great. And guess what? So she's clear-headed, and she makes good decisions, good decisions, and that's a blessing to any man. I, I'm telling you, 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 know, you want to change your marriage? You want to fix your wife? It's right here. Just start getting her in truth. I'm telling you, because you can't be in truth and not have your mind changing and then your behavior changing. All right, we got to go on. There's one more thing that is absolutely essential. There's another way that we can love our wives. Skip, can you put that up? In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of that body. Paul tells us that the other way we are to love our wives is to care for her. The Greek word is actually thalpo. You know what that means? It means to cherish, to cherish your wife. So Frank Ray is to cherish his wife, Susan. And when my wife wants to get my goat, you know what she does? She says, you don't cherish me. And guess what? God isn't going to hear your prayers. And see, that's the downside of teaching your wife the Bible. And what she's referring to is 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. It says this. Skip, can you put that up? In the same way you husbands must give honor. Now watch this. This ought to put the fear of God in you. In the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you, treat her as you should. What does it say? So you're will not be hindered. Have you ever wondered why you feel like as a man, whoa, God, Nothing's happening. No, this thing just says it for itself. If I really want God to hear my prayers, wow, if I'm not treating my wife right, my prayers are hindered. No, gentlemen, this, this, this is, that's, that, that's serious business. Now, 
There's two ways that we, as men, need to care for our wives. The first way we need to care for our wives is physically. We need to meet her physical needs. Now, this is the easy part for men. I mean, we're generally pretty good at this. We're, we're good at generally going to a job, making money, providing shelter, you know, clothing, food, conjugal rights, sex. We're, we're all over that. We're good at that. But you know what we're not so good at? We're not care, good at caring for our wives' emotional needs. And, and so I, I, I would just like to talk about, at least when it comes to that, because most of us are, are, are kind of out to lunch, there are at least seven ways, all right, seven ways that we can meet our wives' emotional needs. So men, you might want to write these down because these are really going to give you a lot of points, all right? The first way you can meet your wife's emotional needs is time with her. Time with her. Your wife should be your best friend. Your wife should be your best friend, honestly. And by the way, men, just so you understand, sitting on the couch, and she's sitting on the couch with you watching, you know, Sports Center is not, okay, that, that's not time with her. That doesn't count, okay? Number two, openness. Letting your wife into your world. You know, and my, my wife's good at this. I mean, she, she reminds me of all these things. She says, we're partners. We're partners. And you need to let me know what's going on. Do you know why she says that? Because, you see, when a woman sees the head in peril, she gets anxious. She gets fearful. Seriously. She gets anxious and fearful. And so, I mean, you want to bring her anxiety, fear level down? You let her into your world. The second thing you're going to do, by the way, by letting her into your world is it builds emotional trust. Builds emotional trust. All right. Thirdly, listen to your wife. Listen to your, Notice I did not say fix your wife. Listen to your wife. You don't need to fix her problems. Now, I will admit this is a rough one for me. A lot of men, this is actually a very difficult one because, see, one of the problems that we have as men is that the average woman has anywhere from 15 to 18,000 words a day. Okay, and my wife's on the upper end of that. The average man has somewhere between 6,000 and 8,000 words a day. I'm on the lower end of that. So I come home, and Susan's got a good 7,000 words left. And she would like to talk. And she says, do you have a minute that we can talk? Translation, do you have a half hour to an hour? And she begins to talk. In about seven minutes, my eyes begin to glaze. She's caught all this now. My eyes begin to glaze over. And in my dumber days, I would say, honey, is there a point somewhere in this thing? <laughs> Gentlemen, just, just for the record, don't do that. That wasn't smart. You'll probably spend the night somewhere where you don't want to spend the night. But that, 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 that wasn't a good move. You see, what your wife really wants is you just to listen to her. Now, it's really hard to do because as men, our masculinity wants to fix it. And it's really hard just to sit there and, and, and listen. But I'll tell you, you will gain huge, huge points with your wife by just listening to her. Number four, your wife wants to hear those three dreaded words from you. I am sorry or I was wrong. Come on, guys. There's almost nothing tougher on our masculinity than to say, I was wrong. 
I'm sorry. That's followed up by the next four dreaded words. You know what those are? Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And if you say it in genuine humility, I'm not saying sarcastic. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. See, that doesn't really work. That's not real sorrow. But she can tell real sorrow, real brokenness. And if you say, hey, what I just did was wrong, or how I said it, what I said, will you forgive me? I'm going to tell you something. Nothing will melt your wife's heart more. And And I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard. This takes the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you, if you have a fractured relationship right now, and you do that, that's going to begin to bring your relationship back together emotionally. It's going to give you connectedness. Fifthly, fifthly, thanking your wife. Thanking your wife for what she does. Now, I, I work with men a lot, and, 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 and the man goes to me, well, well, she never says, she never thanks me for anything. Why should I? And you know what my response is? I said, you're the leader. What do you think leadership is? No, I, I'm not, this is not easy, guys. I'm supposed to be the Christ to her. So in the relationship, what do you think Jesus would do? He would be thanking her first. And by the way, if I lead out in thanking, then guess what? Again, her respect level goes up, and she will begin to thank you. The sixth thing that we can do to meet our wife's emotional needs, caring for her, is complimenting her. Complimenting her. And what I mean by that is complimenting her on how she looks. Do you know what's really important for a wife? She wants to hear, you are beautiful to me. Now, I do do well on that one. She's bad. That one I do well. She wants to hear, not any other man, but she wants to hear that you are beautiful to her. I mean, if you want to put a smile on her face and gladness in her heart, you, you watch. You just go tell her how beautiful she is to you. And have a good evening. All right. Finally, seventh. And this may be the most important. You want to care for your wife meeting her emotional needs. It's the L word, loyalty. Loyalty. The D word should not be in any relationship. Divorce. No D words. Do you know, at some point, at some point, your wife is going to come to you if you're married, and she's going to say, how much do you love me? Will you love me? Will you love me when I'm old and gray? Will you love me when I'm an invalid? Will you love me if I have Alzheimer's? Now, a man can handle this one of two ways. You can go the humorous route, and you can say, Honey, do you think I'm going to trade you in for a newer model? Well, let me just, let me just tell you, I'm going to keep you around for a little while because you've got a few miles left on you. Wrong answer. Okay, that, that, that doesn't work well. Not going to play well. 
You know what your wife really wants by hearing that? By asking that? She wants reassurance. What she wants to hear you say is, yes, honey, I love you. We're partners, and I'm so looking to growing older with you. Your wife is looking for reassurance. And let me tell you, you begin to practice these seven things to any great degree, and you will energize your relationship. You will energize your marriage. So here's the challenge, men. Several questions to you. How's your leadership? How's your leadership? Does your wife, seriously, do your kids know where the hill is? Do they know where the goal of life is? And are you actually doing it, leading out in it? Secondly, are you honestly loving your wife? Are you helping her with the most important thing? There's nothing more important than to help your wife know truth and walk in it because that's freedom. If you really love your wife, no, if you really love your wife, then you're going to get down and know this so that you can help her out. And my last question is just real simple. And I've never forgotten that man's question. Never because I've been married to Susan now almost 36 years. She's put up with me. Almost 36 years. She's put up with me. And 36 years, that's a long time. And I fear that question. Jesus asked me, Frank, I gave you Susan as a gift. Is she better today than she was 36 years ago? Father, A lot of a lot of responsibility on the man. Leadership is not easy. Because it's not just knowing, it's it's living it out, it's leading the charge. So I pray for each and every man here. And if there's any man in here right now that doesn't know Christ and he doesn't have a ghost of a chance of doing what we just talked about, and I pray. Even now, he can say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I not only need you to forgive me of my sins. I understand that's why you came on the cross. But I need the precious Holy Spirit. I need that new nature so that I can begin to be the leader that I need to be and learn how to love. So I pray as we sing this last song, Holy Spirit, you'll just be doing real business with the men here, they can change their world by becoming a leader and a lover. And I just ask for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.